Hey, good morning. My name is Dwight Bernier. I'm one of the pastors of Church 21, and I am glad to be with you this morning. We are going to tackle something that's really difficult. Uh, We're going to talk about the gospel and, and race. And so let me pray for us. Lord, thank you that you love us. Thank you that you're for us. Thank you that you are are walking with us, that you understand these issues perfectly, and we don't. So we want to learn. We want to listen to you. We want to hear from your scriptures. We want to be molded and shaped into the disciples that you want for us to be. Lord, I pray that you would keep the gospel, the good news of who you are at the forefront of all of our discussion this morning. We love you and need you for everything. Amen. You know, life requires a response so often, doesn't it? When COVID happened, we immediately went online. We figured out how to do this as a church. So many of you as, as workers had to respond. Some of your workplace had to respond to you and diminish hours or let you go. It's been a very hard time, but we all had to respond to this as a society. We were able to do it fairly quickly as well. But some other issues take a bit longer. They, they take more thought. And I think that that's what the issue of, of race really requires of us. This is what we've been doing as, as a church, that we've been, we've been praying, we've been patient, we think we're patient, we've been listening to God and listening to others, but now's the time to act. That's why we inserted this, this sermon into uh, our, our normal schedule. Uh, next week, we're going to be starting in Romans 8. We're going to spend the rest of the summer in Romans 8, which should be epic and exciting, but this morning we really need to discuss this because this is pertinent, important, and on God's heart. And here's the thing. I I might get a little loud this morning, uh, and it might be a little long this morning. I don't know. I I can't put that out how long it's going to be, but we must respond. Hear me on this. We must respond to the injustice pertaining to race that we see happening. So a few weeks ago, Uh, We watched, it seemed like the whole world was watching uh, an officer's knee be placed on the neck of of George Floyd. And we we heard the cry, I can't breathe. And that has gripped the world and caused, in in a good way, in a good way, the world to be talking about, about race. There's also been some negative things that have gone along with that, but I'm not here to talk about those things. Unlawful and inhumane killing happened and the world is saying that is not okay. And we as the church are saying that's not okay ever, 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 ever. And so what we need to do is we need to respond a very specific way. We need to first respond theologically with who God is and what he's done. We need to respond with wisdom. We need to respond with caution. We need to respond with anger. Some of you are experiencing all kinds of anger and you're not sure what to do with it. I've talked to you about it. I get it. We need to respond with humility. We need to respond with compassion. And we also need to respond knowing that we have a limited perspective on things, but we're connected to one who has a perfect and eternal perspective on all things. What's hard is that we see things in the media and we're unsure about the facts and all of the backdrop and what's going on. We can be sure about what we saw with with George Floyd. But there's so many other instances that we're just saying, I don't know. I just don't know what's going on and what's true, what's not true. One of the most helpful classes I took in my undergrad was around asking the right questions, not just reading something and buying that, yes, this must be it. 
but saying, why did they write it? What perspective are they coming from? What are they trying to show and prove? What's the other side? What would they have for their perspective? It's really important that we're doing that, that as we discuss these things, we're doing our research. I've read a bunch of articles and a bunch of books and listened to a bunch of conversations, and I have lots and lots more to go through. But we need to be doing our research. And we need to be acting. And here's why. Isaiah 1, 17, let me get out of the way. God says, learn to do good, seek justice, correct oppression, bring justice to the fatherless, plead the widow's cause. And then a verse similar in Micah 6, 8, two, two books in the Old Testament. He has told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. Here's the thing. The Lord loves the oppressed. The Lord loves those who are vulnerable. In fact, it's like he's drawn to them in a significant, unusual way. And so my sermon this morning, my aim is not to hit every issue. In fact, I'm sure you'll be disappointed with my sermon at one level because you'll say, ah, I wish that he would have addressed this question or would have gone into that. We can only fit so much into this limited time slot. My aim, though, is to get you in front of God. My aim is to is to unveil as much as possible God's heart for you and for justice and for the oppressed. And I want to to let him lead our politics, our policies, our emotions. I want him to be the captain of all that's taking place. I want him to be the Lord. I want him to be the prime minister as he is moving his kingdom forward for he truly is the Lord of Lord and King of Kings. So we ask this question to start us off. What is God's agenda when it comes to injustice? What is God's agenda when it comes to injustice? And we're going to camp out in the book of Ephesians. Uh, I, I have a Bible here. I'm going to put these up on the screen for you, though. Uh, I would encourage you, though, to be working through this material uh, for yourself. But Ephesians is this beautiful book that explains so clearly what God has done for us in his heart for injustice. So let me get at Ephesians chapter two, verses one to three. We'll start there. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. Let me stop here. At one point you were dead. What does this mean? Spiritually and eternally dead. I mean, that was your agenda moving forward. And not only that, but it says that we were following the prince of the power of the air. This is really revealing the satanic principles, the anti-God realities that are going on in the world. That was us at one time. Now you might've been dressed up in a nice religious suit, but this was you against God. You were protesting God. You were looting God's stuff. This is who we were. We were dead in our trespasses as rebels against God. And he goes on further. Among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh. Don't pull any self-righteous move right now. Yeah, that's those people. That's you. That's me. We all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. And we were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Our future was condemned away from God. We were made by God, but then we rebelled. We gave him the finger. We said, we want nothing to do with you. We tried to free the world from God and free ourselves from God. We wanted to be our own gods. We wanted to be gods with our agendas. Do you get that? We wanted to be our own gods. 
We wanted to create our own gods in our image, or at least the ones we wanted to set up. And we wanted them to have our agenda in mind. I'll repeat what I just said a moment ago, that we are protesters against God and we are looters of his stuff. If you only think the protester is out there, the looter is out there and it's not in here, then you're never gonna really be able to understand what God says next. That you and I, by nature, by nature, are against him. We are enemies of him. We are idolaters, which means that we're setting up new gods. We're, we're idolaters with our action. We're idolaters with our inaction. We're our idolaters with our desires. Right? We are, are on this continual carousel of creating new idols. John Calvin, a, a reformer in the church, the Protestant Reformation said that, that our, our hearts are like a factory of idols a factory of idols where they just keep being made. So if someone was against you, if someone was protesting against you, if someone was stealing your stuff, what would you do to them? What would you want to see accomplished against them? Well, look at what God does. Ephesians 2, 4 and 5. But God, these are some of the most beautiful words in the Bible. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, even when we were picketing him, even when we were saying, we want nothing to do with you, you have no place in our world. He made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. By grace, this is a gift This is a gift that you've been rescued because here's what happens in the midst of our protests against God. You're not welcome here. All the things that you're doing, God, are unjust against us in our protesting against him. Jesus walks in the midst of the protest and dies for the protesters. Jesus walks into the middle of the pack and dies in our place. He intentionally doesn't breathe any longer. The Bible says that he gave up his spirit. That it was, it was up to him. He gave up his spirit. He gave up his breath so that we can forever breathe. Do you get that? He atten- intentionally won't breathe so that you and I can eternally breathe in the presence of God. Ephesians 1, 7 says, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. Redemption, redemption song, like this is ours. Bob Marley's song is ours. That we have been redeemed, that we have been brought out of our bondage. We have been brought out of spiritual slavery. We have been brought out from that and into the the wildness of God's grace. I mean, this is beautiful. So Jesus dies for our favoritism, our judgmentalism, our, our, our prejudices, our, our racism, our, our pride. Jesus on the cross dies for all of these things. He was condemned. But here's the deal. He rescues, he offers out rescue to anyone that will follow him out. So Jesus comes into the process protest dies for the protesters rises again and then says who's coming with me who's coming with me i'm ready to bring you with me i'm ready for you to get to experience the fullness 
of my grace, the, the fullness of my Father, the fullness of my Spirit, the fullness of all that I have purchased for you. I'm ready for you. Do you want to come with me? Because everything you're looking for and longing for is in me. Do you know what the astounding, astounding offers to us from Jesus is that I will make you new. I will make you new. I mean, this is good news for us because we don't like so much about ourselves. We want to change so much about ourselves. We want to change so much about others. So the Lord says, I will make you new. And this is an individual and a corporate call. So let's do the individual first. Now, this is all the hard work. We're doing all the hard work of theology to get to the place where we can talk about, about race. New individuals. Ephesians 4, 22 to 24. Put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life. This is in the protest against God. When you were a former protester against him, bound and determined to put him to death, it says put off that old self and is corrupt through deceitful desires and be renewed in the spirit of your minds and put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. So in essence, Jesus says, trade your jersey. Trade your jersey. Take off your jersey. I won't demonstrate that for you this morning. And I'm going to give you a new jersey. You're now on my team. You're now created after my likeness. See, we were made in the image of God, which makes us valuable, but we were marred by our sin, rebellion. And God comes after us. And he offers us redemption. And he takes these, these image bearers. And he says, I want to put my jersey on you. And when my jersey gets put on you, I'm never going to leave you. I'm never going to forsake you. I'm never going to bail out in you. And I'm not going to stop changing you until you look just like my son. Never. Never. So this is good news that we remove the old and we replace with the new. You are not your sin. You are not the thing you struggle with. That's not your deepest identity. You are a child of God. And he's going to remove the old and replace it with Jesus. So we're new as individuals, but we're not just new as individuals. We're also new corporately. We're new corporately. So Ephesians 2, 11 to 16 says this. Therefore, remember that at one time, you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision. That's right. We're going to talk about circumcision this morning. By what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. <clears throat> but now, remember how good that, that but was earlier on? But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. So in essence, there were two kind of people. The Jews saw the world as two kind of people. There was Jew and there was Gentile. That's it. If you weren't a Jew, you were a Gentile. It's a pretty safe way to see the world. Jew, Gentile. 
The Jews were, were the people of God. They were the ones who were given the, the covenant, the promises from God. But it, but it wasn't just for them, right? They were to be a light to the nations. They were supposed to be going out and, and calling people to see who God really was. And the people had an opportunity to see who he was and to submit to, to God. But we know that, that they didn't do that. We know that they became um, inwardly focused and even against one another in the tribes. But, it, but it's a sad history in that, in that reality. But the Jews were the people of God, and most of their life was, was spent amongst one another. That They, they spent time with, with the circumcision, right? This, this sign. Now, there was nothing special necessarily about circumcision. Other cultures did that as well. But it was a sign that God made. It was a covenant that he made with his, with his people, that he would make them new. It was pointing to a future reality. It was a skin issue. It was a skin issue that represented the heart. Because just because you were born into a Jewish family and you were circumcised didn't mean mean that you loved God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. It it could mean that you wanted nothing to do with him. Right? That what's going on with the skin doesn't necessarily mean that you are a worshiper in this way. And so when, when Jesus does this, when he dies on the cross... And then Paul opens up, I mean, we had seen it earlier with Peter, um, but when Paul opens up the theology of the Jews and Gentiles coming together into one body, the, the Gentiles could have been like, ah, okay, that's cool. But for the Jews, this would have been a horrible thing. For all of my life, I didn't want anything to do with those people. And now we're in one relationship with them. We're this new corporate body. We're now defined as the body of Jesus together. Ugh. I don't want to be with them. But Jesus' death was for both groups, clearly. Let's go back to 13 and 14. Now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off, right, Gentiles, you were not given the promises, you were not given the covenant, you were far off, you were outside of Israel, you have been brought near by the blood of Christ. See, Jesus' death wasn't just for the Jews, it was for the world, For he himself is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. Jesus busted down this wall of hostility. What's a wall of hostility? What is it? Well, there's there's many options for it, but I think two of them are the most legit. Uh, The first is that there was a fence in the temple, this this little wall that separated the, the Gentiles from the Jews. The Gentiles could come so far, but then beyond this, it was Jewish only. And so when, when Paul is talking about a, a wall or a fence of hostility that's been removed, maybe he's referring to that. The second option is that uh, potentially the wall of hostility, the fence of hostility is what the law did. The law of God helped people know, everyone to know that we are not righteous on our own, that we need him to intervene on our behalf. The law was meant to be a mirror to show us that we were not living the way that God wanted us to live. It told us how to live as free people, but we couldn't do it on our own. And this is why Jesus actually comes, because we can't do this on our own. We can't do it, but Jesus did it for us. He performed the law perfectly in all of his life. He lived the only pure life, the only sinless life. He was the righteous one. And he came and he did that in our place. So I think both of these ideas are important put into this wall of hostility. Both are important that Jesus died for us. He did this for us. 
and that he has ripped down this dividing wall between Jew and Gentile. And if this wall can come down between Jew and Gentile, then this wall can come down between anyone. It can come down between anyone. You see, it was such a radical thing that the first century Christians, um, Clement, who was an early church father, and, and others, actually called uh, this, this new corporate body a third race. That there was Jew, Gentile, and this. There was this. This Jew and Gentile coming together. Coming together inside of the body of Christ. And this third race has no separation from God. When Jesus died on the cross, the veil that separated the Holy of Holies, the, the, the meeting place with God was torn from top to bottom. And now we had access to God because of what Jesus has done. And so what we see here is there's this new body, Jew and Gentile together, all colors, all languages, all skin types, together inside of the body of Jesus, and we have full access to God. There's no separation there. Now, let me do this. Let me unpack from Ephesians 1 to where we're at in Ephesians 2, this third race, this work of God. This is what's true of anyone who has submitted to King Jesus. And I'm going to go fast with this. We're told that this third race has been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, that we are chosen, that we are predestined, that we're adopted, that we're forgiven, that we've been given an inheritance, that we're made to bring him praise, that we are protected forever, that we are made full of God, that we have been seated with Christ in the heavenly places, that we have been made displays. We have been made as displays to show the immeasurable riches of his grace to the world that we weren't brought in as a reward for our good works, but we were given rescue and redemption because of how good he is. And this third race is made for works of new creation. We're rescued by his work and made for his works of new creation. I mean, this is amazing. This is amazing. And this is all Ephesians 1, verse 3 to Ephesians 2, verse 10. <clears throat> that we're meant to be roaming around the earth as this new third race, Jew-Gentile together. We're meant to be roaming around God's creation, shouting and showing off his goodness. Flexing his muscles, not ours, not to boast in, in ourselves, but to boast in him. Boast in him. Let me show you the future of this third race and then we'll get into race for today. Let me show you the future. Revelation 7, verse 9 and 10. After this I looked and behold, <clears throat> a great multitude no one could number from every nation, all tribes, peoples, and languages standing before the throne and before the Lamb. This is Jesus. Clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. This picture of the new, the new creation, this heavenly realm shows us that, that the people of God are unified. We're singing out in the same song Maybe, probably in different languages. I don't know. But we're singing out, salvation belongs to him. We're only here because of what he has done. We're only here because of what he has done. Salvation, redemption, all of this good news is because and from him. So we, as this new body, we're united. We're united. We need to understand that. 
that God's intention and purpose for all of his followers is to be united, not splintered and separated. We're to be united. But here's the beautiful piece of this, this unity. Revelation 21, 22 to 27. I saw no temple in the city for its temple is the Lord God, the almighty and the lamb. The city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it for the glory of God gives its light and its lamp is the lamb. By its light will the nations walk and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. Here's where my mind goes. The Olympics. I know we're postponing the Olympics till next year, but the Olympics, the beginning, the, the, the ceremony where all the nations walk in together into the stadium and they're marching around with their little flags and, and some are carrying the torches and they're waving to one another because it's pretty much only Olympic athletes in there. But it's the glory. They're bringing in the glory of their nation, of their sports into this place for, for the glory of the Olympic Games. Well, one day, every king and queen and person is gonna walk in and we're gonna submit our gifts from all of our cultures to the Lord Jesus Christ, right? This is what's going on. This is this picture. Let me keep going. Its gates will never be shut by day and there will be no night there. They will bring into the glory and the honor of the nations, but nothing unclean will ever enter it. So all the goodness of diversity is coming, but nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. So only God's people are going to be marching in that stadium. Only God's people, only those who have submitted in this life to Jesus as their rescuer, as their Lord. That's it. But this is the goodness. All tribes, all tongues. There's going to be some people walking in very calmly. Maybe some people playing the flute. There'll also be people dancing. There'll be drums. There'll be all kinds of different music that's coming into this stadium. But this is what God is after. That it's not just one color, not just one culture, not just one language, but we're all there. That there's this unity around King Jesus with all of that diversity and the culture. Nations marching around bowing to King Jesus because he loves them all. So here's God's agenda, and then we'll get into practical stuff. God's agenda is to make unified and diverse worshipers of him who work his agenda in this world. That's good, isn't it? Make unified and diverse worshipers of him who work his agenda in this world. This is what Ephesians 2.10 gets after. That we were made, we were created for his work. We're, we're recreated. We're made new because of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection to be about his work of proclaiming and showing what he's all about. Here's the thing. As followers of Jesus, it's not just about faith. It's also about works. It's not just about hearing, it's about doing. That those two are inseparable. Now, what I'm gonna do in this last section is mostly coming from books that I've read, uh, lectures that I've heard, conversations that I've had with black friends, black brothers and sisters. All right? So, I, I'm going to quote them sometimes, not going to quote them other times, uh, but been super helpful for me. You might disagree with some of this stuff. It's fine. But I'd, I'd encourage you to be asking God, is this, is this what you have for me? Is this actually what, what you have for me to get behind? But I don't think we can actually talk about this stuff without talking about what we just talked about one unified body of Jesus brought together by his blood and resurrection. 
with all of its beautiful diversity and culture that's honoring to him. So here's what Eric Mason said in his book, Woke Church. We do not substitute proclaiming for action. We don't proclaim and neglect action. We proclaim and engage in activism that flows from the gospel. It has to be all about the gospel. And here's the thing. Injustice is happening in our dad's world. Our dad, our father in heaven, his world, injustice is happening. His creation is being decimated. His creation is having knees put on their neck. It's his stuff. It's his stuff. And as his kids, we should care about this. So what do we do? What do we do? I just have a a bunch of points. So I'm not even going to bother to say first and second because I'll just get confused and I'll confuse you. But I'll be putting a lot up here. The first thing is that we as the church need to wake up. We as the church. And you might be individually saying like, yeah, 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 I'm, I'm with you. Great. But we as the church, Church 21, the church in the West, the church in the world, we need to wake up. Listen to what Eric Mason said. Woke is a word commonly used by those in the black community as a term for being socially aware of issues that have systemic impact. This social awareness doesn't come from just watching the news or reading history through a traditional lens. Being woke has to do with seeing all the issues and being able to connect cultural, socioeconomic, philosophical, historical, and ethnic dots. This is not easy. This is not easy. I have been reading and reading and conversing and watching and reading This, if we're going to do this, connecting cultural, socioeconomic, philosophical, historical, ethnic dots, this is going to take a lot of work, a lot of saying, I don't know yet, a lot of humility, a lot, it's good, you're going to get angry, you're going to get embarrassed, right? This is going to be hard work, but I think this is the type of work that we have to do as the church, that we need to listen and understand, What's going on? People aren't just coming to us as blank slates. Like their conversation with with you is the first thing they've ever done in life. No, they have a, a rich history and it doesn't just begin at their birth. That they have a history that has made them who they are. This isn't an individual thing. This is not an individual thing. This is a corporate thing that this body of Jesus needs to be about. You see, there are policies and cultures that need to be changed within our society and and maybe in our churches. There are policies and cultures that need to change. A few examples. Racial profiling. That needs to change. That needs to change. That's not just. Because you were born a certain way means that you have a greater likelihood of being pulled over because maybe percentage-wise, there's a higher rate of crime associated with, with your race? Are you kidding me? That needs to be put to death. The way that we plan cities, let's put this, this group of people in this ghetto. Uh, they traditionally make this amount of money, so we'll make it this expensive to live here, but this cheap to live there so that they'll be drawn there. Right, The redlining that's happening, I can't go into all this stuff, but this stuff needs to be put to death. Some of the culture within um, policing, and I'm not saying that other than I'm saying that that's what uh, many police are saying, right? So don't hear me throwing police under the bus. I'm so thankful for the police, especially in our neighborhood. They're amazing, really great. But the brutality and the culture 
Some of that stuff needs to change. And we as the church can be a voice of the Father into the world. Some of you might be thinking, and I've heard it said, well, we don't deal with this. We're in Canada. Racism isn't in Canada. Mm. So I have a friend, a friend who was born in Canada whose skin happens to be black. And he has told me that many times he's been told to go home. Go back where you came from. Well, he's from here. Where is he going to go? And, and we know what they're saying. And they're claiming rights to this country, but those weren't indigenous people that were saying that. So it's pretty broken, isn't it? It's pretty broken. It happens in Canada. You ask an indigenous person, First Nations, is there racism in Canada? Right? Ask the right people. You don't think there's racism in Canada. You're hanging out with the wrong people. And you're not, you're not getting into the recesses of your heart because it's there. It's there. Listen to this uh, recent study that was done June 15th to 18th. Um, there were, I think, 500-something Canadians of Chinese ethnicities that were uh, surveyed. And 43% have felt threatened or intimidated because of the pandemic. That people have threatened them or intimidated them as if they were the ones that brought COVID to Canada. And this, I mean, this is messed up. This is really messed up. To blame a whole people group. Now, this is specific. Canadians of Chinese ethnicity. Like, they're Canadians. And they're they're being threatened and intimidating. 43% of the people who are surveyed. Now, 61% have said that they've changed their routines because of racism and discrimination, right? The way that they do things has affected more than half of the people who are surveyed. And then 55% think that their kids are going to be bullied and intimidated when they return back to school because of their ethnicity. Racism doesn't exist in Canada. Come on, come on. It's call, it's, this is a call for us to wake up, to wake up. That we're supposed to be the pro-life people, right? The church is supposed to be the pro-life people. Leon's Crump said that we're supposed to be the womb-to-tomb people, right? That we care about the unborn all the way until they're in eternity, right? We care for people. We should be pro-human flourishing. We as a church should be waking up to care for people at every stage and of every skin color, every race, Because we want to see human flourishing. Why? Because our dad wants that. Our dad wants to see human flourishing, so we do. The church should be the ones leading in this. Martin Luther King Jr., when the civil rights movement was happening, you know what was was pushing that thing forward? The church. The church. Churches were were networking together and coming around different uh, local leaders to be able to move forward this reality that all people are made equal. I know this is in the States, but it's in the Constitution. Everyone is made equal. And this movement was to make that a reality, that it would be felt and experienced and actually happen. That everyone is made equal. We as the church should be leading that, but we gave it up. And there's a whole host of reasons as to why that happened. And so now other movements are pushing agendas forward. And and we're talking about all the bad things that are going on in them, but we as a church gave it up. 
We gave it up. We should have been the ones leading this and we let others lead it. This is our dad's fight. This is our dad's heart is for the injustice of the world to be scrubbed out. This is his desire. We should be about this. Black lives do matter. I know I've talked to you, some of you, about the the all lives matter or the everyone matters. And I get it. Like, I understand that. I think, I think my life matters. I think the lives of my kids matter. My wife, like, I, I think we matter. But that's not the thing to say right now. You see, we have brothers and sisters in Christ and we have people in this world made in the image of God that are suffering because of their skin color. And so right now, black lives matter. Leonce Crump told the story uh, in his interview with Ryan Kwan. I would suggest that you watch that resource. Ryan Kwan, Leonce Crump. They have a, a conversation around this. It's about an hour and 15 minutes long. Very, very helpful. You're hearing a lot of stuff that came out of that. But he said, saying all lives matter, everyone's lives matter in this moment is like me going to someone's house, buddy's house that's on fire. And I see smoke coming out. And I, I call the 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 fire department and the rescue and I get everyone in the neighborhood together around this issue because we're going to get my buddy out of this house. And, and clearly there's a big urgency to stop this because he's still inside there with his whole family. We got we to rescue them. Let's get everyone together for that. And it'd be like a neighbor coming over and saying, well, look at my house. Look at my house. Does, does my house matter? And he'd say, absolutely, your house matters. It's beautiful. It's wonderful. It's amazing. But right now, my buddy's house is on fire and it's burning up. Would you come and help us? They say, yeah, but, but what about my house? My house matters. Come on, my house matters too. Of course it does. But my friend is going to die. His whole family is going to die if we don't take care of them now. And so it's not diminishing one for another. It's just saying that, that both these houses are, are wonderful, but this house is burning up and we have to care for this house now. And so we're with you. We're with you. So we as a church need to wake up. We need to wake up. Another thing that we can do is we can be praying. Seems obvious, but are you praying? Are you praying against the injustice that's happening? Are you repenting for things that you're seeing in your, in your own heart? Are we repenting corporately for things that we as a church or the church have done? Or we as a people group have done against another people group? Are, are we repenting? Is it moving? Are we begging God to correct this? Are we praying for his kingdom to come? Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, especially around this issue right now, dad, because more than anyone, you believe that these people matter, that you love these people, that you thought them up, that you knit them intricately in the womb, that you chose the color of their skin, that you, you made them that way. And Lord, would you bring justice and would you help it come through your people, your kingdom come? See, when Jonah went to Nineveh, he went with like the worst sermon in the world. Uh, Turn or burn, basically, like repent or die. He didn't care about them. He wanted them to die. They were his enemies. 
And what happened? Maybe the biggest revival ever. People, the whole city turns to God. The animals are turning to God. Like crazy stuff's happening. If we begin to pray, Lord, would you please correct this injustice? Maybe you will. Maybe you will. Another thing we can do is to, to learn, live, teach, preach the whole gospel. Injustice is a gospel issue. Let me be really clear about that. Because we're talking about race, it doesn't mean that we're talking about cultural Marxism, right? And cultural Marxism, critical theory, we're not going to deal with those today. This is a gospel issue. And the gospel is for all of life. That we believe the only way that we can change is through the gospel. That's what Paul says in Colossians 1, 5, and 6. He's amazed at the work of the gospel that's going on inside of these people. And when we talk about race, we don't shut down the gospel. Eric Mason said earlier, that it has to be the gospel. The gospel leads us to change and to action. There's no lasting change without the gospel. So what we need is gospel proclaimers and practitioners. Absolutely need this. See, the gospel changes our heart. Gospel changes our heart and makes us as white as snow. Our hearts. Our hearts as, as white as snow. Pure before the Father. But turning to Jesus doesn't make us a specific culture. Listen to what Eric Mason said. Color blindness denies God's promise to Abraham that in you all the nations shall be blessed. The gospel isn't colorblind, right? People who are colorblind wish they weren't colorblind. That when we look at people, we should see the difference in their skin and we should see the beauty of that. The gospel is not colorblind. God, God's not a God who's colorblind. He sees beauty and diversity. And he doesn't want to make a group to look like another group. When I go to India, I've gone to India a bunch of times. When I go there, they say, oh, would you please teach us how you do that in the church in, in Canada? I said, no, I won't. Because that's not your culture. Let me help you figure out what it will look like for you. I don't want to bring my agenda onto your culture. I'll bring the gospel to your culture because that, that crosses every culture. But I'm not going to help you do what we do in Canada. Let me help you figure out what it looks like here. You know, one of the things that's been happening, especially on social media, is we have Christians shaming and judging one another throughout this time. You didn't say this word right. How You're a horrible Christian if you don't post this. You're a horrible Christian because you did post this. It's like, could, could you guys rest? Could you rest in the gospel? Now is not the time, especially publicly, to shame and guilt one another. Can we gently correct one another? Can we gently help people to learn? Can we encourage people to understand in the gospel and this is a gospel issue? Can we be so kind as to not just tweet back or Facebook back or Instagram back responses against one another? Could we be hospitable with the hospitality of God and say, oh, do you understand what it is that you're saying? Oh, no, you don't. Let me help you understand. I've read a bunch of things on this or let me give you this book or this thing to watch. Could we be hospitable in this way? Could we assume that what the other person is trying to communicate is is what's best. And that we help them when we come alongside them in this. I need people to come alongside me. I am, I'm listening a lot. I'm learning a lot. And by God's grace, I'm changing. And I want to keep changing as much as the Lord is willing to, to have me change. Next, 
disciple. We need to be discipling our disciples of Jesus to be anti-racist or anti-racism. And this comes from Christian and non-Christian authors. So non-racist is passive. Oh, I'm not a racist. No, I, I, love, I love people of color. I love this, right? But like, what do you do? Well, I mean, I'm just not racist. So it's passive. But anti-racism moves. It, 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 it sees policies that are out of whack. It calls them out. It calls out cultures that are, that are racist. It, it identifies them and begins to dismantle racist culture or policy. And an example of this is racial behavior. Racial behavior. Listen to what Ibram X. Kendi says. I think I'm saying his name right. Uh, to be anti-racist is to deracialize behavior to remove the tattooed stereotype from every radicalized body. Behavior is something humans do, not races do. And Leon's Crump says that there's a criminalization of my existence as a black man. That to be a black man is to be criminalized in the eyes of so many. And so anti-racism looks at behavior. So this is just one example of how to be anti-racist. And it says there's no dangerous Racial groups. There's no group of people because of their race that are dangerous. Now, they're, they're dangerous individuals or maybe small groups of people who might be the same race, but they don't represent the whole. You can't stereotype a whole race based on a few people. That's racist. So to be anti-racist is to say, that's wrong. Like the jokes around stereotypes, that's wrong. We can't do that. We're not going to sit back passively and laugh. That's wrong. That's wrong. I've had many talks with my kids over the past few weeks. We've watched several movies. We've been reading some books. And we've talked very blatantly about how wrong racism is. And not just that we're going to sit back, but that like, if we're ever put in, with an opportunity to correct this, we're going to do that. We pause movies and say, if you were there, what would happen? What, what would we want to do? What would the Lord, what would the Father have us to do in this place? And so we're, we're covenanting to be anti-racist. And it doesn't mean that, that we're against racists. The Lord loves people that deal and struggle with racism. The Lord wants to get at their heart and change them with the same gospel that changed your heart and mine but that where we see policies and cultures that are out of whack, we want to bring the good news of the gospel. We want to bring truth to bear on these situations. We want to hold leaders accountable. In Montreal, uh, Valérie Plante said uh, this recently, I'm firmly committed to implementing systemic solutions to these systemic problems without delay because there is no time to lose. Well, she has to be held accountable for this. She put someone in place to oversee a diversity initiative in, in Montreal, but now we have to hold her accountable. We have to hold Quebec accountable for the things that they said, that they don't believe that there's any systemic racism that's going on in Quebec, only that there's racist individuals. And now there's a group of seven people overseeing something in Quebec, and we have to keep them accountable to that. Right? This is part of our job as followers of Jesus and citizens of the kingdom of God inside of Quebec and Canada at this time. We can hold leaders accountable by voting. Right? We, we have a certain amount of power to be able to vote. And, and we need to exercise that power. 
And this isn't a political sermon at this point, but it's a reality that, that we get to vote, we get to say. So the question that, that we'll end with really is, is this. How will we be anti-racist in a display of the immeasurable riches of God? How will we be anti-racist and be a display of the immeasurable riches of Christ? It's not just in our gathering. It's not just in our gathering. It's not just in our representation. It's not just making sure we have different ethnicities or different colors in, in our church. That's, that's not it. We want that. We want to be developing leaders. Uh, in fact, I, I called several people that I believe could be church planners, and I'm like, would you consider coming back to Montreal and working with us to plant a church and to be a voice in our city and in our nation? how will we not just invite those who are like us into the kingdom of God? How will we intentionally live our lives differently so that we're inviting those who aren't like us into the kingdom of God? How will we intentionally reach and train and move out of the way for others to take over? Because you don't just need a, a white person leading this or you don't need someone who's black to lead this or you don't need someone who's Chinese to lead this. But like who... How, how do we make sure that there's this beautiful diversity of leaders who are called and gifted and trained that are moving inside of the church in Montreal? How do we do this? I mean, these are the questions that, that I'm wrestling with. Because we need to let the Father's voice be heard throughout the city. But it has to come through a diverse family, I believe. They have to see this beautiful representation of what Revelation 7 and Revelation 21 are talking about. And I know this is a, a U.S. illustration, but Leon's Crump said it, and I found it so helpful that we don't look to the elephant or the donkey. We look to the lamb. The elephant, Republicans, donkey, Democrats, lamb, King Jesus. The King Jesus is going to lead us through this. Listen to Revelation 22. The angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal flowing from the throne of God of the lamb, through the middle of the street of the city, also on either side of the river, the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the lamb will be in it and his servants will worship him. I mean, this is where everything is leading toward Jesus. You see, our politics and our policies, ultimately they won't save people, though they're important. Only the Lord can do that. His slow train of justice is coming. Amos 5.24. Let justice roll down like waters and righteousness, like an ever-flowing stream. You see, God is going to make every wrong right. No justice goes unnoticed by him. He is going to undo everything that has been done against him. He paid for it on the cross and he's going to scrub it away for all of eternity. He sees everything. He knows what you're going through. He understands what's going on in your heart. If you have experienced oppression or you are an oppressor, if you are, are a racist or have experienced racism against you, the Lord knows what's going on in you and he reaches out his hand to you to heal you to give you rescue, 
to bring you into a family where you begin to get his agenda and you begin to work out the justice that he so longs for in this world. He wants to work that out through his people in our normal, everyday lives. So how do we finish this sermon? And that's, that's been my struggle. How do we finish this? Well, we're prepared for action with our dad. We're prepared for action with our dad. Our dad wants to change things. He wants to bring justice. But I know that we're supposed to do this together. It's funny, not funny. It's tragic that we're talking about this at a time where none of us can really be together. Right? We should be talking about this as a church in community, but instead I'm talking to a camera. But listen to what John Perkins says. There's no institution more equipped and capable of bringing transformation to the cause of reconciliation than the church. But we have some hard work to do. Church, we have hard work to do. We are in this for a long haul. We have 500 years of history. And that history is not going to be reversed in a few months or a series of tweets. That we, church, have to lean into this hard work together of demonstrating, showing that the Imago Dei, that everyone is made in the image of God and that Jesus died for for everyone and that there's no privileged group. And those that, that are living a privileged life begin to lay down privilege or identify privilege and get to offer opportunities to others in the kingdom that they, that they might have had. So here's our call. Our call is Romans 15, 5 to 7. And I really will end here and with a prayer. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. Now, I took a prayer, um, and I, I want to pray it together. So I'm just going gonna, gonna to read this prayer. O oh Lord, how long will your church be divided along racial lines? How long will the lingering effects of animosity, injustice, and pride mark your blessed bride? How long, O Lord, will my white brothers and sisters not understand the pain in those whose experience is different than ours? How long, O Lord, will my minority brothers and sisters struggle with distrust and feel ostracized? God, grant us the heart to weep with those who weep. Give us empathy and understanding. Create trust Where there is pain, make your church the united bride you want her to be. These divisions of mistrust and historical bias run deep, O God. Without you, nothing will ever change. In our pain and our weariness, we express our hope that Jesus can change our hearts and unite the church. We believe the gospel is greater than our divisions and we long for the day when the world will take note of how we love each other. So help us to meet each other in this prayerful journey. We come to learn to lament. Hear us as we weep together that we might walk together. In the name of Jesus, our King. Amen.